the music on this album, I think, is in alignment with the movement and the awakening that we're all experiencing this year. The songs that are on this album are about advancing equality. They are, they are about looking for the good in everyone and, and helping shape this world to be more fair and just. Welcome to the Good Tidings Podcast, where we highlight and inspire a community of givers with your host, the founder of the Good Tidings Foundation, Larry Harper. Well, I couldn't think of a better way to debut the Good Tidings podcast than to have the opportunity to sit down with Jason Mraz. You know him as one of the greatest singer-songwriters of our time and an artist who not only spreads good tidings through his music, but also with his philanthropy and kindness. So, Jason, welcome to the Good Tidings Podcast. It is my pleasure to be here, to spread good tidings and cheer through this podcast. Well, thank you. So, we're sitting here in the brand new Jason Mraz Music Studio at Arts. And Arts is this wonderful youth community center here in National City, just south of San Diego, where you spent half your life. So, tell us your first impressions when you walked into this music studio name for yourself? I was blown away. I was so touched by the dedication, not just to me, obviously there's photographs of me in this room, but the dedication of the builders, designers, Good Tidings Foundation for choosing to come down here and upgrade the music room at Arts. It is stellar from, I mean, even the color palette and the mood of the room inspires creativity and play. That's a big part of it, to be inspired by your environment, to want to make music and to want to show up and and make music. I'm really touched. I truly am. Yeah, well, it was it was our pleasure and I think you represent a lot of things that, you know, certainly our charity does, so it was great to work with you on this. And it seemed like when I was start at the beginning briefly, you grew up in Virginia, it seemed like you had some good musical and theatrical opportunities given your way growing up? Absolutely. From the time I was in the second grade, we had music introduced to us, or I should say available to us through our public school system. And it would be in a room not unlike this, you know, a good sized room, especially for a second grader. This room would feel enormous. And it would be a place where you could grab an instrument for the first time in your life, make noise, be given permission to make noise, you know, permission to hit something and sing loud. So I had that ever since second grade. Luckily, by sixth grade, it was an elective. And were it not for music rooms, much like the one we're in right now, I don't know if I would have put in enough hours to become the musician and the person I am. So I'm, I know how vital these rooms are. Yeah, for sure. And I know before you moved west, I heard a story, and I know 
many people that are successful have these kind of turning points, and yours seem to be springboarded by working in a smoke shop in Virginia. Tell yeah. us about some of those inspirations that came out of actually working in a smoke shop. Yeah. Well, the best part of it was we didn't have a lot of customers. At the same time I was working at a, at the smoke shop, there was a huge campaign for everyone to quit smoking, which is a great thing. So we only had a few dedicated cigar customers, which gave me the rest of the day alone. And we were encouraged to play music that everybody liked, which we all decided would be Ella Fitzgerald, Bob Dylan, Neil Young, just classics, James Taylor, John Coltrane, Grateful Dead, even we were allowed to play. And I was given basically an education while I worked at this tobacco shop for about two years. I was given a music education by listening to all these great classic albums and then also bringing my guitar to work with me. And I would sit and learn how to play guitar on the clock. So I have to thank the owners of Stogie's Fine Cigars <laughs> in Richmond, Virginia for giving me those hours to practice and craft songs. Then it was, it was time to move west and... You first came out to our town, San Francisco. That's right. But before you went from San Francisco to San Diego, there was this unbelievable serendipitous trip to Las Vegas. That's right. And tell us about really what happened on how that trip came to be, what happened on that trip, which led you here. Great. I just try to go with the flow. And I was living in Farmville, Virginia, going to college at Longwood University, and I had visited California briefly, visited San Francisco, right before I started college. And I was blown away with the geography of the land, the topography of the land, the, the scenery, the, 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 just the artistic expression that I was seeing all over San Francisco. And then I ended up back in Farmville. I thought, what am I doing in Farmville? It, it, it looks and feels like it sounds. <laughs> And I kept hearing this voice, you need to go west, like get in your car and go right now. And I thought, oh, I'll go in the summer. I can't go right now. I'm in school. And this voice was just nagging, go, 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 go. So spring break came and I decided to drive back to California. And I was crashing with a friend of mine in San Francisco. And my friend's boyfriend knew a guy in the music industry, right? And he said, that guy's, his name is Bill Silva, great concert promoter and became my manager eventually. But Bill was throwing a party in Las Vegas. Let's all go. Jason, bring your guitar. So from, from San Francisco, we took a trip to Las Vegas. I entertained people in a hotel room, not really knowing who was in there, but Bill was in the room and so was Marty Diamond, who would become my booking agent shortly after that. And both of them pulled me aside the next day and said, who are you? What are you doing? I said, I don't know. I'm kind of driving around the West right now. I would love to be more involved in music. So then they directed me to San Diego from Vegas. So I still had just a weekend backpack in Vegas. I left my friends. They went back to San Fran. I went to San Diego to explore the coffee shop scene, to visit a studio of Mike Andrews to record some demos quickly learning that I needed to still work. I still needed to get stage time. I still needed to write better songs. And ultimately, though, I made the decision to just stay in San Diego to do that work because there was such a thriving coffee shop music scene 20 years ago. 
And I could immerse myself in that scene and deliver new songs week after week and learn how to stand up and play guitar. Hell, I was still sitting down at that time with my ball cap pulled over my eyes because I had somewhat of, I guess, embarrassment or stage fright, not full confidence yet. And it would be months of being in San Diego before I actually made it back to San Fran to get my belongings and relocate physically to San Diego. And it would be months before I was honest with my parents that I was not returning to college and that I was now living in San Diego. And I only elected to not tell anyone because I felt really great about the decision and I didn't need anybody to talk me out of it. I just felt like this, I'm making friends fast I found a home in music, I really believe. And I'd really love to add this, because this is very important. I don't want people to think that, oh, you should just give up everything you're doing to pursue something. By moving to San Francisco, by going to Vegas, by going to San Diego, each one of those acts was living my dream. It wasn't saying, if I do this, one day I'll get to do my dream. It's that I was able to get the romance and adventure out of going to San Francisco. I was able to play a gig in Vegas. I was able to move to San Diego to, to record in a studio for the first time and to learn how to play coffee shops. And all of that was part of living the dream. And I still feel like that. I still feel like I'm living the dream and wondering what's going to be the next adventure. So you, you when you come to San Diego, you're playing in the coffee shop scene making a little bit of money, enjoying yourself. Had you reached your dream or you did know there was something bigger ahead of you? No, I had reached the dream because for me, the dream was I was working in the tobacco shop and I thought, you know, if I could just play enough gigs to pay my bills, then that is success. To me, success will be doing my joy and not having to have another day job at the same time. And when I got to San Diego and started working regularly in the coffee shops, I was earning enough at the door and earning enough on selling my homemade CDs that my bills were being paid and I had made it. This was it. I finally was a successful working musician and anything else that happens after this is just going to be a bonus. tried to beat you, but you're so hot that I melted. I fell right through the cracks. Now I'm trying to get back. Before the cool done run out, I'll be giving it my best. This and nothing's gonna stop me but divine intervention. I reckon it's again my turn to win some or learn some, but I won't hesitate no more, no more. It Cannot wait. I'm yours. It's interesting. You start out in the coffee shop playing music. You grow into playing in a group. You go on playing with Raining Jane. Your latest album has a reggae vibe to it. So my question is, is this a natural progression of styles for you? And are there more styles ahead? I want to do all the styles. Mm -hmm. I love that about the arts is there are so many styles, genres, so many different stages to play on, so many different costumes to wear. 
And as a performer, why not explore as many of those as possible? So I've currently just put out this amazing reggae album. It's one of my favorite albums to date, and I so look forward to touring that with a huge band. But there's also a gospel album in the works that is totally different than what we just made. And the music I make with Raining Jane sounds very different as well. There's musicals in the works. I want to continue to explore as much as I can. Yeah, you mentioned musical. So a couple of years ago, actually January 14th, 2018. Mm-hmm. Big date for you, I'm sure. But my wife and I were in New York City, uh-huh. and we bought a couple tickets to see you star on Broadway in The Waitress. Wow. And you were just spectacular in that. Thanks. Tell us, tell us about that experience. That felt like being on vacation because when I wear the Jason Mraz hat, there's a lot going on, touring and farming and writing music in various styles. But when I go do a show on Broadway, I'm basically just hired to play a role, say these very specific words, sing these songs, make people laugh, help tell the story and rinse and repeat. And at first I thought, I'm going to hate this because it's going to be the same exact show every day. And I was so wrong. Every single show felt different. I loved every night, every moment, every matinee. And I felt like I was on vacation from Jason Mraz. I didn't have to think about the set list. I didn't have to think about my wardrobe. I could just go and give myself fully to this other character and to this great show. The show was already a hit, so all I had to do was show up and do my best. So I would definitely do that again if I had the opportunity. I could find the whole meaning of life in those sad eyes They've seen things that you never quite say, but I hear Come out of hiding, I'm right here beside you And I'll stay there as long as you let me You have such a beautiful tone to your voice. Have you always had that? Is it natural? Or did you develop it over the last 20 years? I'm going to have to say it's a little of both. I know I was given a gift. I've been singing since I was a little kid. And I was influenced a lot by by rock music in the 90s. And I started to smoke cigarettes in my 20s. And it was, I hurt my voice in doing those things, I do believe. Or at least I, it was an experimental period that made me aware of my gift And since then, since that awareness, I should say, I've been working on both the health and the quality and tone of my voice so that I can have my voice for the duration of my life. Honestly, I got the big download when I opened for the Rolling Stones. In 2005, I did five dates with the Rolling Stones. It was incredible. And we got to see their life backstage. And it was healthy. They work out, they eat healthy food, I mean, Keith Richards always has a cigarette in his lips, but everyone else had a very, very healthy attitude. And I thought, that's the secret. There's no way you can do this job night after night with cigarettes and alcohol and whatever you think rock and roll stands for. So from 2005, I made a conscious decision to treat my instrument better 
and really work on my voice and my attitude so that I can sustain and have a career as long as the Rolling Stones. That's great. So when you write a song and then perform it, do you see that as you're giving us a gift? As we enjoy your music, you've given us that gift? Mm. When I write a song, it's for a, it's for a number of reasons. There's There's a number of reasons I might write a song. I love to whip up a song daily. And occasionally, I land on one that just feels so urgent, or it feels so true or transformative. Like I become aware of something that I needed to become aware of, some life lesson. I've finally addressed or spoken something that heals something in myself. And when that transformation happens, I feel like, okay, there's real magic in this music. There's real, there's alchemy here. Something is changing about myself when I sing this. So let me take it to a stage. That's when I'll then go to a local coffee shop or I'll start sharing the demo with friends just to get some honest feedback. Like, did this transformation happen to you, the listener, the way it happened to me? Because I'm the first listener of the song. Yes, I help write the songs, but I can't take all the credit because... Where do our dreams come from? What makes our hearts beat? There is definitely a greater power around us that we are all swimming in that contributes to the magic of our lives. So I feel like I do my best to assist in the process of bringing songs out. And when one moves me, that's when I take it to the stage and give it a run and say, does this move you too? And if it does, it stays in the show. If it doesn't move, folks, it goes back to the drawing board and I continue to work on it. You seem to live through the words of your songs, like they're authentic. You're not just singing a song because these words are going to sound good. They're the way you truly feel, the way you truly live your life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You got to believe the words, otherwise the song won't sing. It And occasionally I'll hear a song that you can just tell was written before it was ever sung. I try to sing and write at the same time. I don't usually, I don't really write lyrics out. I just try to sing whatever's going on. And that way the song will always be an authentic expression. Yeah. You know, our, our, the name of our charity, we picked it out 25 years ago. Good Tidings came very commonly used in Christmas songs and holiday songs. You also seem to have a fondness for holiday music and Christmas music and have written some great stuff. Where did that come from? The love of the holidays? Probably my family. That was the one holiday that we all shared. Thanksgiving and Christmas were the one was the one gathering that we would do. And it became very significant. My grandfather would sing holiday tunes and my mom plays piano and would sing holiday tunes. And something about those holiday tunes, which most of the popular ones are written in the 40s and 50s by Irving Berlin and Mel Torme, something about those songs have all the right chords in them, at least in my opinion. They always resolve in a way that's comforting, always in somewhat major chords and scales, which are very uplifting and colorful. In a way, they're almost predictable, which is nice because they feel familiar in that sense. Like by the end of a good song, if you can sing along to it before the song is over, then that song has wriggled its way into your ear and into your heart and invited you to sing along. So if the holiday music can do that year after year and keep bringing us back, 
I would want to use some of that same magic in my own material so that it also sounds familiar when you sing along to it or listen to it. I love holiday music. I've actually been working on a lot of holiday music this year during the the lockdown. We're all encouraged to give during the holidays, and we're always encouraged to forgive during the holidays. The thing I love about forgiveness, I want to add this to, to this part, is forgiveness is to give as you would have given before. So if someone has done you wrong and you stopped giving to them, to forgive them is to truly give to them again the way you would have given to them before. I love that explanation of forgiveness. And the holidays do that for us, so I'm always inspired by that. bells ring are you listening in the lane snow is glistening a beautiful sight we're happy tonight we're walking in a winter wonderland yeah that's great so your latest album that just came out look for the good which i think everyone should listen to get purchase by the vinyl look for the good in everything Look for the people who will set your soul free It always seems impossible until it's done Look for the good in everyone People done gone crazy People done gone mad People done forgot the superpowers we all have We were born to love, not hate we can decide our fate and look for the good in everyone and celebrate our love mistakes. But it was released on a very historic day, June 19th, and I'm sure that was thought out. Tell us about your thoughts on that. Yeah, actually, we had set the date in January that, okay, we're going to put this album out June 19th. And to be quite honest with you, Larry, I had never heard of Juneteenth up until this year. It was not something that was taught to me in school. It was not on my radar. It's not something that's written on the calendars like Columbus Day and Thanksgiving Day. So this year, myself and much of America got an education, and we still are. And my record label asked me if I would want to change the date. They said, you know, your album's coming out on a historic day, and all the messaging is going to be amplified to that. And I said, you know, honestly, I want people to hear this record. I, I don't want to steal the news in any way. I'm not trying to divert anyone's attention away from Juneteenth. But there are many writers on this album. There are many musicians on this album that I feel deserve to have their art heard as well. And the music on this album, I think, is in alignment with the movement and the awakening that we're all experiencing this year. The songs that are on this album are about advancing equality. They are, they are about looking for the good in everyone and helping shape this world to be more fair and just. So I felt that the album was in alignment with Juneteenth. And then to take it one step further, I decided I would take all the royalties that I've, the earnings that I'd already gotten as an advance from the record label and redistribute those earnings to six different organizations that I feel are doing the great work of advancing equality. Just to... Well, to continue the work that I think needs to be done in general, 
but also to back up the lyrics on this album. And in, on this album, I say things like, all I'm supposed to be right now is a giving man to serve you water from a living well. To help another get out of their hell, you got to give a little piece of yourself. And I wanted to demonstrate that right out of the gates and say that this album, we made it because we have freedom and joy in our lives. And I don't want to capitalize on that. I have plenty of success in my life. How about this? Why don't, how about this album from now on is going to go to organizations that need our dollars, that need our awareness, that need life breathed into them so that their volunteers can show up every day and kick ass in the advancement of equality? Yeah, and I, I see you as a very humble giver. People should know that advance was a quarter of a million dollars, which was very significant. Mm-hmm. And one of the groups was Black Lives Matters which I think is well-deserved. And I think what's interesting, one, I want to hear your thoughts behind that. And two, what we found is as a charity serving the black community Mm -hmm. and people support that. But if you say this project is for Black Lives Matter, some people have issue with that. But if you don't say it and they see young black girls and boys playing on a basketball court, they love it. So it's interesting, the education that needs to come out of this, that people have a struggle with that. In fact, we're even though we're doing so much work in that community, we're going to develop direct programming for that, which I think is important. But I wanted to kind of get your take on your support of Black Lives Matter also. Yeah. Black Lives Matter are powerful words. Black Lives Matter. Because the history of America has never uttered those words, in my opinion. They've women only got the right to vote 100 years ago. Blacks earned the right in the 1960s, barely. And to this day, there's still voter suppression. To this day, funding in states and communities are drawn to better serve white communities than black communities. The stats we've seen this year about policing against black people versus white people is staggering. So, America has shown historically that it has not loved and nurtured and nourished black communities the way it has typically with white communities. So Black Lives Matter is part of the awakening or education that America needs right now. It does not mean others don't matter. It just means all lives will matter when black lives matter to truly have justice for all. Black lives have to matter, and that people have to really feel that and believe that. So I, I am in full support of the movement. I think it's incredible what these women have started several years ago to now reach the global voice that they have. And part of my donation from this album going to them was to make sure this isn't just a moment, that it's a movement that keeps happening. Yeah, and I hope, I hope it is, because there has been certain milestones in history where these protests happen. And I think this is the one that's finally going to take people to the next level. It might take a generation or two, but I think we should get there. You know, we have the opportunity to work with a lot of celebrities and athletes and artists, and they form their personal foundations for various reasons. Yours really seems to be very authentic. So tell us about the mission of the Jason Mraz Foundation. Sure. The mission is to shine for inclusive arts education and the advancement of equality. And I did that because of my own upbringing. You know, since I was in second grade, I've had access to rooms like the one we're in right now. And this music room changed my life. 
I mean, it gave me a life. I think had I not had this, I probably would have ended up in construction with my dad, who eventually gave up construction because it's hard in the winters and became a mailman. And I followed him and I was a mailman for a while. But luckily, because of access to music, I was able to pursue a dream. And I want that for every other young performer who has that dream or has that itch or even just wants to have music in their lives. So the foundation is really meant for that, is to help programs that are providing arts education and specifically the ones that are doing so in ways that are advancing equality. And I, another thing I love about when I look at the giving through your foundation, it's so diversified. How do you work on your selection process? Must be a challenge. It, it is a challenge. So most of our donations have come from concert ticket sales. I say donating to Jason Mraz Foundation is as easy as one, two, three, meaning a buck 23 from every ticket, every seat sold, we are going to put a buck 23 into the foundation. So by the end of a tour, that could be 300 grand. Like it's wow. significant. Thanks to our fans who are coming to the shows. And then we do still occasionally get some nice checks from, from fans as well. But most of it just comes from people participating in the music. And then what we do is we look at that number that we've, we've been given, that we've earned through the year. And we say, okay, this year we're going to grant 300 and who's it going to be for? And we just kind of start ticking off boxes. And some people apply. And in other cases, we actually go out and try to find schools that are doing what our mission is doing. And we ask if they need any assistance and, or wonder how we might be able to collaborate mm -hmm. so that we can amplify their work. Yeah. I mean, we've only known each other a very, very short time. But you know, my instincts tell me you're a very grateful person, I'm grateful for what you have, what you've done, what's coming. Is that probably where your giving side comes from. Yeah, I mean, and I and I think again it goes back to I was given access to music and that is such a gift. And then I also feel because I was this almost naive 20-year-old who thought, yeah, I can totally drop out of college and go make a living in music. I was stupid enough to think I wouldn't fail. And it worked. And I not only found success in music through the coffee shops, the success just kept coming. And then I started to have, I had to deal with self-worth for a little while because I thought, why me? Like there, I've seen plenty of other people on this journey who are better guitar players than I am, better singers, better songwriters. And yet I kept managing to get another gig, another tour, another look, another hit song, whatever it was, it just kept piling up and piling up. And I knew in my mind too, I said, if I ever do have success and all my basic needs are met, it would be great to have a foundation where I could divert and or share, I should say, share the wealth. And it's been probably the best part of my career is getting to this place where now I make music for fun and I also get to give for fun. And, and that feels... It's incredible. I mean, it's it's what freedom really feels yeah. like. And you're you mentioned you're at this place in your life, and at this place, do you still have a professional and philanthropy bucket list or wish list you still want to make happen, both professionally and on on, on the charity side? Mm, that's a good question. 
honestly, this year, my thoughts have just been like, what are we going to do this year? Because the whole world changed how we gather and teach and play. And so I haven't honestly thought much past this year. Professionally, I just, I hope I can just stay youthful and relevant as I continue to make music. But no, I'm I'm still dreaming. I'm still dreaming on what this foundation could do. Occasionally, an idea will pop into your head where you think, oh, maybe one day Jason Mraz Foundation doesn't just serve San Diego or the nation. Maybe we even can reach different countries around the world. And then that idea scares me a little bit. And then I bring the idea back to small. But I know when that happens, it means that, oh yeah, that's actually probably going to happen. Does that make sense? Sure. And I get yeah. scared of what that's going to take, but. Well, you have a good team around you for sure. So I, I do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we became connected because it was kind of my philanthropy wish list to have you perform. Cool. At the Good Tidings Foundation 25th anniversary. And we reached out with the idea, knowing you were kind of just getting the shine event going this mm-hmm. year. And you seemed like, you know, this could be something you'd be interested in is, hey, we would bring our specialty, which is to create beautiful spaces for deserving kids. And you're going to perform for us, which we are looking forward to next year at next some point. <laughs> but first, you know, we'd really like to thank you for that. You know, at some point, we're going to have a great party and celebrate all the good the Good Tidings Foundation has done. So, you know, I really want to thank you for that, for sure. Mm-hmm. And I do hope this is the first of many things we can work on. You know, I think you see our work here, and as things come your way here in San Diego or elsewhere, Virginia, San Francisco, wherever, you know, we'd, we'd love to keep this vibe going. Cool. Well, you guys have a great vibe, I can tell, just by sitting in this room. The colors you've chosen to use, the great equipment we could make music so fast in here. And sometimes you got to move at the speed of thought to catch that idea when it comes, you know, or if a kid has a class in here for only an hour, let's say, you can tell that they're going to get the most out of that hour. It's going to be awesome. Well, thank you for today. And thank you for partnering with us. We encourage everyone listening to stay tuned when Jason will be performing for the Good Tidings Foundation 25th anniversary. And thank you for all you do for all the youth and and your dedication to everyone. So thank you. Absolutely. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks so much. You have just enjoyed an episode of the Good Tidings Podcast, highlighting the goodness in people. To learn more about and to support the Good Tidings Foundation, log on to goodtidings.org. This monthly program is brought to you by the generosity of responseresponsibility.org. Don't miss out on the Good Tidings Podcast by subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.